Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, a bill to ban Chinese citizens from buying land in Texas gains steam among Republicans. The Texas legislature tries to revive a controversial corporate tax cut that critics say is hazy at best. And a Republican bill would give massive tax breaks to large families only if the parents are straight property owners who've never been divorced. This is Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. The Texas legislature is considering a bill that would prohibit citizens and foreign entities from China, North Korea, Iran, and Russia from buying land in Texas. Governor Greg Abbott says if passed, he will sign it into law. SB 147 was given a hearing on Thursday, and the bill's author, Senator Lois Kolkhurst, a Republican, defended it from accusations that is based on racial prejudice. She said this is about national security. Let me be clear that the citizens of the state of Texas understand the threat of which we are under. So we're not playing checkers here. We're playing chess. And it's super important. And I reject any notion, any notion, that this is a racist bill. Over 100 witnesses testified in opposition to the bill. They said it was unnecessary and it would lead to even more targeted hate crimes against people of Asian descent. This will create Asian hate if SB 147 bill is passed. Texas ranks fourth in anti-Asian incidents. If this bill passes, there will be more hate crimes and incidents against Asian grandmas and grandpas, and their blood would be on your hands. This bill further violated the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution which states that no state should make or enforce any law which uh, abridge the privilege and the immunity of citizens of the United States or should any state to, to deprive any person of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. First, this bill is discriminatory by limiting basic rights of people from certain countries of origin. Why should a Chinese H1 holder not be able to purchase a rental property in Austin where a Canadian or a French counterpart can do so without restrictions? Second, this bill has overreached to fix the problem it's trying to fix. These four countries accounted for less than 1% of all the foreign-owned land in America. And there are existing laws on the book to deal with these issues of foreign countries buying sensitive uh, properties around um, our infrastructures. So how is a Chinese national buying a coffee shop in downtown Austin a national threat? Wei Li, a college professor, told the committee that he's lived in the U.S. for 17 years and he'll finally be eligible to apply for a citizenship later this month. But deep down, I know I'm already a Texan long while ago. I can cook perfect, moist brisket. <laughs> I even understand how to use bless your heart properly. But SB 147 and SB 711 are a slap on my face. It scoffs at me. Sorry, you're not Texan. People like you will not even deserve to own a home. 
In response to the backlash SB 147 has received, Cokehurst has softened the bill somewhat. It now allows the purchase of homes. The bill is being cheered on by extremist right-wing Republicans like Hill Country Congressman Chip Roy, who tweeted that it doesn't go far enough and that all non-U.S. citizens should be prevented from buying Texas property. Varun Nikor is the executive director of the Asian American and Pacific Islanders Victory Alliance. Yes, you know, at, at its core, this is really fundamentally about the 2024 election and nothing more. Uh, our communities have been demagogued uh, by those on the right uh, more increasingly since Trump got elected in 2016. And, and this is just a continuation of, of those efforts. Well, there's all sorts of energy in, in this area that it's concerning from Chinese spy balloons and lawmakers in, in D.C. saying that fentanyl is the result of a China interference. And Really what this is, is um, the folks on the right are taking advantage of vulnerable, uh, the most vulnerable people in our community, which are generally, you know, immigrants and newer Americans. And, you know, there's a through line here, uh, frankly, that started when Donald Trump got elected. Out of the gate, he was demagoguing uh, China and, by extension, uh, Chinese people. And there's no distinction in the eyes of Americans when you're going after the Chinese, you're going after Chinese Americans. And um, because they're easy to pick on, right, they're, they're um, often not going to defend themselves in the ways that have mass platforms. And so, you know, this has continued, right? We're seeing not only the, uh, the law in Texas with, um, you know, SB 147, but also recently and earlier this year, the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, essentially nixed, uh, canceled a, uh, a battery plant that was a joint venture between Ford and a Chinese electric battery company, right? And so... This, along with the fact that we now have a China Select Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, this is all sort of ratcheting up the uh, the rhetoric as we get into 2024. You, you know, if if your party doesn't have something that they're standing for, it's really easy, in fact, easier to show what you're against, and they're against you know someone who doesn't look like the prototypical Anglo-Saxon American. And so this is the genesis. This is why they're doing it. They're trying to politically position themselves for an election year. China is the number two trading partner for Texas. Uh, there are a lot of economic ties with China, telling people they, they uh, from China and, uh, and uh, organizations from China they can't buy property, they can't invest in property, uh, businesses. Could this damage uh, business relations? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if Texas has been typically known as a very business-friendly state. If they're going to cut off uh, their second uh, largest trading partner, even um, you, you know, on the margins, is this still going to have a tremendous effect on the Texas economy and jobs and social support services by extension, right, because you have a reduced tax base. And so we're going to continue to see these types of uh, attacks, you know, going into to, to next year. It's it's par for the course, frankly, 
We're not surprised. I think the only thing we might be surprised about the, is the fact that it's happening so early, right? I mean, we're you know, 19, 20 months before the next election. And, and so the fact that this is coming so fast and so early, that causes us alarm because we know that this rhetoric is not going to be reduced as we get closer to the election. It's actually only going to grow. So the, we're hearing that this is about national security. We want to prohibit these countries, people from these countries, from buying land because this somehow puts the country uh, at jeopardy. But I haven't really heard why or how or what specifically they're talking about. And don't we have laws already on the books that would prevent anyone from doing anything that was going to harm national security? I'm just really trying to figure out what they're talking about. Well, I think a lot of people in America are really trying to figure out what, uh, you know, the Texas Republicans are really up to here. You're absolutely right. This is a national security uh, uh, in the in the national security realm, and and, and is the Texas legislature uh, really the best equipped? People who don't have backgrounds in national security or foreign direct investment, for that matter, are they really the best equipped to even have hearings on this? Where were the economic analysis, uh, the judicial analysis, the legislative analysis that tends to accompany legislation such as this that's so wide encompassing? It really is a federal government issue. We have national security professionals who, um, you know, are directly responsible for tracking this, for monitoring this in the U.S. Department of State, at the Department of Commerce, um, in other agencies, as well as the new uh, China Select Committee that was recently um, uh, started by the Republicans uh, when they took over the House several months ago. Right now. Uh, I, I think the bottom line here is that this is just, uh, you, you know, a uh, it's legislation in search of a problem, a problem that really doesn't exist. By uh, by public accounts, only 0.9 percent of all U.S. agricultural lands are owned by Chinese entities. This is not necessarily the Chinese government. These are private corporations in China. So. It just doesn't make any sense on a number of levels what the Texas legislature and the Texas Republicans are really trying to achieve here. So we are not at war with China, last I heard. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Of course, there's always tensions. But if there were to be a, a war with China or conflict, what then? I mean, if we're willing to do something like this now, I, I shudder to think about what would happen if there actually was open hostility. I don't even want to go there, frankly. We had the Japanese internment camps uh, during World War II. Yeah. We, we had Chinese Exclusion Act in the late 1800s. We've had the post 9-11 backlash against South Asians, you know. And so it's really easy to pick on the most vulnerable in society. And the most vulnerable are those that often don't speak up because they're just trying to put their heads down, be good immigrants, be good in neighbors, you know, provide for their families. Uh, we often don't speak up as loud as we should. And, and this is part of the reason I think why the rhetoric has been ratcheted up because they know that they, you know, we won't speak up. Now, this has changed since Donald Trump got elected. We had politically uh, in between 2016 and 2020, the highest turnout uh, in the 2020 presidential election, uh, the highest turnout increase of any one demographic in the history of our country, 
It was 87% increase between 2016 and 2020. Now, if, uh, if Texas Republicans think somehow that now Asians are going to be the, 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 the silent you know, immigrant group, they've got another thing coming. What Donald Trump did was galvanize our community. It organized our community. And, and this is what's going to happen in Texas. Uh, APIs in Texas, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, are the fastest growing demographic group in the state of Texas. And we are already starting to organize. There was over 150 people that came to the hearing uh, of, of all Asian American stripes, Iranian Americans, Chinese Americans, uh, uh, Korean Americans, and our allies came together to uh, protest this this uh, hearing that happened, uh, you know, in the Texas legislature. So we're already organizing, and I, I shudder to think what's going to happen um, in a state that has been majority minority for the last 20 years. That if we come together as a community. Uh, what can happen in the state of Texas. It was Asian Americans that largely drove the win in the 2020 election in the states of Georgia and Arizona. There was massive increases, over 100% increase in Asian turnout. And so this is what's going to happen in Texas. Uh, uh, and, and we are not resting. We are not going to uh, you know, stop uh, and, and cower in fear uh, for what the, what the Texas Republicans are doing right now. Varun Nikor is the executive director of the Asian American and Pacific Islanders Victory Alliance. Is Texas ready to provide baby bonuses to encourage married couples to have more children? A new bill in the Texas House would give a property tax break to large families, only if the parents are straight property owners who've never been divorced. This bill is raising eyebrows for how targeted the benefit is and for who would be excluded. Sawyer Hackett is a Democratic strategist. He says it's no accident. You know, this bill uh, introduced by uh, Representative Brian Slatton would provide tax breaks to couples who have kids with sort of a the sliding scale of tax cuts for four or more kids, you know, with 40% off your property tax bill if you have four kids and so on, up to 10 kids. Um, you know, while I think Rep. Slatton is focused on you know, these family incentives, because he, he, he claims that he's worried about this birth, the birth rate, the declining birth rate in Texas and across the United States. Really, this is about, I think, Representative Slatton kind of playing into this uh, white nationalist uh, replacement theory that a lot of Republicans and some in Texas have, have played into. Uh, he even cites in his press release that that this policy would be modeled after the Hungarian dictator, Ur, uh, Victor Urban, who's promoted similar policies. And really, it, my, main, my main problem with this bill is that it does nothing to help these families after those children are born. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of families sitting around the kitchen table worried about their property tax bill when they're considering having kids. You know, they're worried about child care. They're worried about their grocery bill. They're worried about sending those kids to, to college. Um, I don't think these property tax incentives are the way to, to encourage uh, you know, families to have more children. One thing that sticks out is the um, the parents well, they have to be uh, heterosexual, and that the uh, they have can't be divorced. What do you make of that? Right. Of course, when when uh, Representative Slatton is talking about couples, uh, he means straight, never divorced, uh, and, and children born after their marriage. This bill would exclude LGBTQ couples, divorced parents, blended families, and of course, single parents. 
uh, because, you know, why, why give relief to the parents who, who might need it more? Uh, this bill even gives a 10% reduction to couples without kids so long as they fit within his, you know, narrow Christian definition of family, straight, right. married, so, etc. So the Brady Bunch would not qualify. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He talks about addressing an issue, and we can, if we want to address that, that's that's interesting. I, I do personally think anyone who wants to have children should be uh, allowed, you know, we should do everything we can to help them do that uh, if they're burdened with things like, we know uh, student loan debt is, is, we've seen from polling, that's something that keeps people from ha- expanding their families or starting a family. There's a lot of financial reasons that uh, people put off starting a family. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's ironic because, uh, you know, lawmakers like Representative Slatton, you know, they claim to want to support these families, but they don't support uh, you know, investments in neonatal assistance or child care, universal pre-K, school lunches, things that would actually reduce the burden of having children for a lot of these families. Um, you know, and he, he claims that he, he wants to support them. He wants to give them, you know, tax cuts. But really, this is about some of the wealthiest families. You know, if, if you're going to have 10 kids and get that property tax reduction of 100 uh, percent, you have to be already pretty wealthy. And, you know, the implication being that if you're getting a reduction in property taxes, you probably own some property too. Uh, and so really, I think that this bill is, is geared towards helping families that are already pretty well off. Well, what about the fact that renters would probably benefit more from some support to uh, start families or expand families? Right. I mean, look at look at the, the impact of the, the child tax credit uh, that Congress passed, the expansion of the child tax credit. Uh, that Congress passed during the um, during the pandemic, which cut child poverty by 40 percent. You know, policies like that are geared after, you know, renters and, and those who may not own property, those who already have families but may need a little bit of relief, may, may need a little bit of assistance to help uh, get by. I think those are the kinds of investments that are more likely to encourage, uh, you know, young couples to want to have kids, some assistance for them throughout their life rather than just a, a small deduction on their on their property taxes. So does this have legs in the House? Will this become law? You know, he introduced the bill without any sponsors, uh, without any co-sponsors, but I think there is a lot of support for these kinds of ideas within the Republican caucus, both in Texas and across the country. Uh, and as I mentioned, I think that this is part of a like a growing movement within the far right of the Republican Party uh, to embrace some of these family-oriented policies uh, like pe- around people who, you know, like Hungary's uh, dictator, Viktor Orban, and I think Donald Trump has proposed some similar things. So I'm not sure if it has legs. Uh, right now it doesn't have sponsors, but we'll see what happens. Sawyer Hackett is a Democratic strategist. During the previous legislative session in 2021, the Texas Senate stunned the state's business community when it didn't take up a bill extending a controversial tax break program known as Chapter 313. The program discounted local property taxes to lure big companies into the state. Its opponents said it was corporate welfare that didn't actually do much to benefit the state's economy. In the current legislative session, there's an effort underway to bring 313 back from the dead, and it's happening in the shadows of the Capitol with few details or answers. Dick Levine is the senior fiscal analyst at Every Texan. Yeah, there had been a program for the last 20 years called Chapter 313. 
under which school districts would give property tax abatement. In other words, they would tax um, projects on much less than their true market value. A majority of these projects were wind and solar projects under 313, although the great bulk of the benefits went to big projects like petrochemical plants and liquefied natural gas terminals and semiconductor plants. It expired at the end of last year. The legislature in the prior session uh, did not renew it. So there's now pressure from various beneficiaries of the old program to get some kind of tax benefits back. Uh, there has been one bill filed called HB5, but it's really, it, it's just a pencil sketch of, of a program. And until they fill in all the colors, we really don't know what they have in mind. But we understand from these rough contours in HB5 that this is basically they, they want to bring back 313. Well, yeah, bring back 313 in some form, although what is clear is that there seems to be no intent to include renewables, which was a major part of the number of projects that were covered by 313 and I think had a, a big role in um, developing Texas as a major uh, force in wind power. Governor Abbott has gone on the record saying that he wants this bill to exclude renewable wind and solar projects. But everything else, like petroleum, coal, he says he wants that included. Yeah, it's hard to tell. They have words in their, in their bill draft that are not well defined. Uh, something like national security structure and critical infrastructure, but I don't think that they tell you what that is. So it's hard to tell what more might be included in 313, that had not been included in 313, as well as excluding the renewables that had been such a major part of the prior program. So the way 313 worked, school districts would be able to provide these tax benefits to these job creators and the state would make the school district whole, they would replace the money. And so there really was no incentive for the school districts to hold these companies to uh, accomplish what they actually promised they would do. We wouldn't be able to see if they actually did bring the number of jobs that they promised to a community. And there seemed to be an almost an industry that had cropped up in how to work the system so school districts could provide this tax break because they were and then get the money from the state. Well, you're exactly right. The school districts were essentially playing with other people's money. They uh, there was a controller had a role, but essentially it was the school districts that were granting these abatements, but it was the state that was absorbing the cost through the school finance system. More than that, the school districts were getting kickbacks. They were getting a share of the tax savings from the companies of up to $100 per student for up to 13 years for the agreement. And considering the uh, underfunded status of most of our school districts, it was very hard for them to say no. So they usually approved these projects, whether or not they were actually good for the um, for the state as a whole or for their community, and whether or not these projects probably would have been built in any case, even without the tax abatement. Because Texas has many attractive um, qualities, 
This is where the natural gas and oil come out of the ground. This is where the refineries are already built. This is where the wind blows and the transmission um, lines are available to take to the major markets without any competition from outside because of the nature of our electric grid. So it was, um, it was um, too loose. It was not audited in any case. The companies would tell the school districts, we've created X number of jobs with Y number of wages. And the school districts would say fine and hand it on to the controller who would put it in a report. But nobody ever checked to see if, if these benefits were actually being accrued. So the uh, Texas Association of Business and the Texas Oil and Gas Association are behind the bill. They, they're applauding the fact that it seems to have found uh, legs in, in the legislature. Uh, what's the downside of a, a bringing back to 313 other than just saying this is corporate welfare? Well, it's a completely or almost completely unnecessary expense because there are so many reasons the companies would come here anyway. And that was always an issue with 313. The statutory language said it had to be a determining factor in deciding to locate in Texas rather than another state. We had always thought that it would be proper to require it being the determining factor. In other words, if the company did not get this tax break in Texas, they would go somewhere else. in the draft I saw of this HB5, it said something like more likely than not, which in, in legal terms, that's called preponderance of the evidence. If there's a 51% chance on one side and 49 on the other, you say, okay, well, they need the break. Um, that's, that's way too low a bar for an expensive program like this. The estimates of the current 313 liability for the state which is locked in because these are these are contracts that are already been signed is uh, more than a billion dollars a year which is money that otherwise would have gone to our schools the fact that 313 eventually uh, died in the legislature uh, last session was that due to some sort of awakening that this this program was flawed and texans don't want it I think it was a very interesting coalition that came together to prevent 313 from being renewed. From our side, we were concerned about the, the revenue going out the door that should rather be going into our schools and into helping educate our children. And I think on the other side, there were a number of people who thought that this was just not the proper role of the state to, to interfere in the free market and pick winners and losers. So between those two points of view, there are enough people to keep 313 from being renewed. And we'll see if that same coalition is enough to keep any new program from being established or at least uh, cut way back on the size of any new program. And people who would support this uh, relaunch of 313 would, you know, they don't want the public really to know about what's going on. The fact that the what's being proposed is so sketchy uh, I've, I've read that it was being described. It looks like it was written on the back of a cocktail napkin. There's no guarantees that this program is going to be designed in a way to maximize economic reward and minimize cost to taxpayers. Now, we are happy to debate the details of a program, but they haven't given us any details. They've just given us some um, from vague pieces of 
of what might be an eventual program. I mean, the, the, the first hurdle is, is this even necessary? Or is Texas attractive enough to business for other reasons because of our natural workforces or our, I mean, our natural resources or our workforce or, or other reasons why so many people keep coming to Texas? That's the, the first question. Then the question is, if such a program is necessary, how big does it have to be? What kind of requirements should we put on these companies? For how many jobs are they going to create? What are the wages they're going to pay? Will they hire and train people who are already here in Texas rather than attract more people from out of state? So there's a lot to be said about a program and and a lot of points to be argued. But with this bill that's been filed, this HB5, we're, we're not even to the starting line yet. Dick Levine is the senior fiscal analyst at Every Texan. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can write to us with an email to texasmatters at tpr.org. There are past episodes of Texas Matters on our website at tpr.org. And you can find us wherever you download great podcasts. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. Texas Matters.